Welcome to the Hunting for Purpose podcast, the official podcast home for all human design manifestors. I'm your host, Holly Marie, a 4-6 clinic manifester, a certified human design teacher, and a manifester who is following her own creative urge to facilitate a thriving global community of aligned, powerful manifestors. Wherever you are at in your manifester journey, or even if you are here just because you love a manifester and you want to understand them a little bit more, this podcast is the place for you. Stick around for in-depth teaching, for real-life practical tips and understandings of the manifester journey, and how to become aligned and powerful and thriving as a manifester. You are here for global impact. You are here to change the world. The time is now. The journey is yours. This podcast is your home. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Hunting for Purpose podcast. Today, we have another guest episode in our Manifest and Meetup podcast series. And this this guest, like all of the guests, I'm so excited to bring you each and every one of the guests because they all have such different voices and different wisdom and different insight. But today I am meeting with a fellow Aussie manifester, which makes my heart very, very glad. There's a lot of Australianness up in the podcast here today. Um, I am going to introduce you to the beautiful one and only Shiana Lee. Shiana, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you, Holly. I'm so, so excited to be here. So thank you for having me. Appreciate it. You are welcome. So I'm going to get Shiana to tell you about herself because she's going to describe herself so much better than I would. But it's going to be really intriguing having her on the podcast today because she talks about um, an area that a lot of people request more content on in terms of of the manifesto journey and how it all plays in Um, and we're talking about sex and sexuality Um, particularly Shiana focuses on tantric sex so we're going to veer off from that a couple of a couple of different ways but that's going to be the core of what we speak about today and I know that it's an area that people are fascinated in I'm deeply fascinated about it. So I'm super curious just to be a fly on the wall in this conversation and (laughs) listen to your wisdom and listen to your insight. But can you tell us a little bit about you and what you do, lovely Shiana? Yeah, beautiful. Well, as you said, I am a tantric-based sacred sexuality coach. I work with women and couples with all things relating to sex, love, relationships, and I'm really deeply passionate about the body and the body wisdom and all things like womb, yoni, birthing, and yeah, creating new uh, paradigms within our lives, whether that is sexually, whether that's just in our life, in our relationship. I'm very passionate about it. It's such a good topic. It's such a good topic. And I love that it's gaining so much traction in public spaces now that there's this sort of uh, reclamation for women to come back into this space and really, you know, have that, the passion, the passion area of the divine feminine. So beautiful and so juicy. So can you tell us what your human design is? What is your design? And also what was your journey for, for falling down the HD rabbit hole? Beautiful question. So I am a 4'6 Splenic Manny, uh, same as you, Holly. Yeah, I think that's why, yeah. um, that's why I resonate so deeply with you and what you put forward, I think. 
Um, and what started me on the HD journey was actually um, in my program. So in 2019, I did not know anything about human design until I started deeply working with Layla Martin and in my uh, sex love relationship coaching program. And some people started talking about it and you know, because how that works with sex, like it's, it's actually quite a, um, yeah, like learning how to use it to, to better off your life, to better off your business, to better off, you know, all areas and facets. And I pretty much jumped on, learned that I was a manifester and really haven't looked back since, have really, really taken it on board uh, because it resonated so deeply with who I was as a person, how I showed up in the world. And it's just been a roller coaster since then, but I have taken it on. I'm deeply invested in learning and deconditioning and it goes hand in hand with all the shadow work and things that I do um, naturally anyway. So it's been just a natural progression, really. That is so good and such a beautiful journey. I always find that that manifestors either go in these, you know, one of two directions when they find out that they're manifestors and kind of come into this whole HD space. There's either this complete rejection of it, like it's too overwhelming, there's too much shadow and there's too much conditioning, or it immediately feels validating and immediately kind of resonates deeply. What was that experience like for you? Did you fit in either camp? Yeah, I think it was very validating for me. It was kind of like a breath of fresh air. It's it's like things clicked into place and I was like, that's why I am the way I am. That's why, you know, I show up places and people turn and look at me. It used to make so, me so self-conscious and just so many things. I was like, I get it. I get it. I get it. I understand. Um, yeah, so it was super validating for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so curious too, I know we didn't plan to talk about this, but given that we have exactly the same uh, design, essentially a couple of key variations, but yeah. uh, you know, as both of us being four, six splenic manifestors, what was, you know, what was it about that, that really spoke to you? Did you, did you find kind of a lot of like connection and resonation with your profile or was it discovering that splenic capacity or do you feel like it was just this overall journey of like, Hey, I'm a manifester. Like I'm actually as powerful as I think I am. Oh, that is a great question. I think it was a combination. So the manifester thing resonated first. I was like, yeah, I get that with the aura and how I show up and how people perceive me. Uh, that was key. And then at, on my journey, that's when I started to realize like the four, six and how that resonates and plays out within my working relationships. Um, it's quite funny um, how people see me. It's pretty funny. And then definitely the splenic, like I, I really have tapped into the spleen and I'm like, I'm very splenic. I think I've got every gate to find except for two. Um, nice. So I can really tap into why I feel that deep, deep, deep connection to yeah, the divine, to the earth. Like I feel heavily um, intuitive and I just sort of like know things and channel things and I never really understood how or why um but I I can definitely resonate like connecting the dots with HD it's like so beautiful yeah yeah, mm. yeah. it's such a cool permission slip hey uh, like yeah. I'm not weird I'm actually perfectly designed <laughs> this is why yes. I'm the way I am um and that four six profile I found in my journey is so wild because in human design the four six profile is really spoken about as this like 
vibrant and vivacious and like really magnetic profile like people love the four sixes because we're usually extroverts like we're real we're really good at like connecting with people meeting with people yeah but it was really really um kind of challenging initially in my journey to make that distinction between the four line and the six line right with that that expectation from other people based on that six line of like you are wise and you've got your shit together and we want you to share your wisdom with us when like I always feel like going hey I'm just the four like I just (laughs) I just want to have a real meaningful connection with you that's all like I don't necessarily have all of the answers but sometimes I do and when I do I'd like to bring them to you has that been a similar journey for you Yeah, that's really interesting. I think the six line has big shoes. Um, Mm -hmm. And especially, yeah, especially like a a lot of people do tend to come to you and seek your advice, seek your wisdom, seek your clarity. And it can sometimes get really annoying. Um, (laughs) And like like you said, sometimes you don't want that. You don't want, it's, it's, it's a lot of pressure sometimes to be the six. Um, especially when you're not really when it's kind of unconscious or you're just sort of tapping into to it and um, yeah it can be big shoes to fill I feel yeah yeah for anyone listening that is not a four six profile please love us enough to give us a break sometimes (laughs) sometimes it takes a little while for us to get in line with that six energy but we're working on it okay yeah I agree (laughs) So I am so super curious about your journey into tantric-based sex work and into the divine feminine and into tapping into all of that. How did that even begin to come into your life? Oh, this another great question. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, (laughs) um, Actually, I began my journey down tantra probably over 10 years ago. So it was quite interesting. I was... Um, I, I, I think I might've had like a quarter life crisis or something when I was 25. <laughs> um, I was really lost, you know, before, you know, I was really lost. I, you know, went on this soul searching mission, um, overseas and kind of disconnected from everything that I'd ever known. Um, I went to this tantra, you know, yoga place just sort of intuitively ended up there. One of my teachers had been studying Tantra for like over 10 years. And I remember that was my first touch with it. And I, I thought it was a little bit weird, but it was also very intrigued. I'm like, what is this? Um, because her lineage that she studied under was quite uh, quite right side. So there's usually a right side and a left side. So the left side is kind of like Osho and that's bringing in the, the sexuality aspects and the right side and all different lineages actually are without the sexual element. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was very right side and I was very intrigued, but pretty much I took it on board. And then over the last 10 years, I have kept like kept coming back to it and have done like womb, like a lot of womb stuff. Like that's where it all began, began for me because I held a lot of trauma within myself and within my womb from sexual assaults and um, like abuse in that region um, as a child. So I think that my natural progression just led me 
there to heal, to connect to my body again, to come back to my own body. And yeah, and then I've just sort of gone all in, like I studied under Layla Martin and yeah, a lot of um, like Nadine Lee, like some beautiful tantric divine feminine practitioners and yeah, that's that's basically my journey so far. That's so cool. It's like it found you at the moment that you I were ready so. to experience that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like all good energetic work and spiritual mm. awakenings, yeah? Yeah. Can you give the listeners, I guess, like a synopsis, like a, a brief like layman's term understanding of what what is Tantra and how does that play into things like relationships, love and sexuality? Yes. So Tantra for me and my perspective of Tantra is it is a way of life, like it is a lifestyle. It is a, there's many different lineages, as I said, but realistically Tantra is the, I would say the deep work of coming into unity and wholeness within yourself. Mm. So it is, it's almost like they, they do, some lineages go deeply into the feminine, masculine um, energies and working with those two energies to create divine union. Um, so that's the energies within ourselves. Um, and yeah, I just feel like it's this beautiful way to come into, it's kind of like tackling your demons and doing like deep shadow work and integration to already come to the understanding that you are already whole and mm. on the sexual side of things it's kind of the same thing so when you bring awareness and presence to anything that is a, like a spiritual experience right and so it's believed that everything has the the essence of the goddess or everything has the essence of you know, spirituality and the divine. And so when you bring something like that to the essence of something that's been so heavily repressed and so heavily contorted in society, then how can you not experience deep spiritual awakening um, in that arena, you know? Mm, so good. <laughs> so good. And, you know, as, as a a person and a you know a female who was sexually abused and sexually assaulted myself I'm seeing more and more relevance of that in spaces like human design right in these kind of energetic frameworks where previously even in the spiritual spaces that was really repressed right the yeah. the trauma that is held in the body particularly for females held in that womb space was really not something that was publicly spoken about and publicly mm. addressed. And I recorded an episode last week, which probably will air just before this one. So it's good timing um, with the beautiful Tessa Haywood. And we were talking about that experience of being sexually abused. She was also a sexual abuse victim and how that actually plays into this journey of being a manifester, right? Talking about this concept yeah. of if manifestors have this natural state of power and we live in a social paradigm or have lived in a social paradigm where power has been very, very enticing for people who don't have it and they've sought to take it. And at the same time, we have this social system of sexual oppression of women. I think that by kind of peeling back the lid on this and really frankly speaking about it, my suspicion is that we're, we're going to uncover that 
a very, very big percentage of female manifestors have experienced sexual abuse. And I'm curious about your take on that. Oh, I love it because I actually, when I was sitting down before our episode, you know, I sat with a few things that were bubbling up. And one of the things that I did write down was how our open sacral can be taken advantage of, um, especially in, in partnership, because in partnership, you've already kind of let them in to your aura. And that is not talked about enough either, the sexual abuse that people uh uh, yeah they they get in partnership but it's our receptive it's our receptivity you know mm-hmm. that's we amplify that energy with our open sacral and our power like how powerful it is we can get a lot of projection so a lot of people who are not doing their own shadow work or doing their own inner inner demon slaying mm-hmm. per se can project themselves onto us and whether it's the part like they're repressed and lost pieces of self and that can be amplified obviously we can be the ones that actually receive a lot of that um yeah being taken advantage of the ones that because we are powerful we get that projection and um yeah I feel like that's a really great correlation and something that I think yeah we will will be brought to light more and more as we see these um, intertwinings of um, energies come forward. Mm -hmm. So agree. So agree. And if anybody in society is going to be responsible for initiating that conversation, it's going to be manifestors. Mm -hmm. You know, like my (laughs) illogical, ambiguous splenic center is like all lit up by the idea of, what could possibly emerge from that and, and just initiating that. So thank you for sharing, you know, that part of your conversation and your experience because um, that's going to be really validating for a lot of yeah. people to hear that. Yeah. Can you talk to us about your personal journey through shadow work? Well, I mean, as much or as little as you would like to share, what yes. on earth did that look like? So shadow work is a big part of what I do uh, in working with clients, working with myself and, you know, shadow work can sometimes get a bad rap and don't get me wrong when you are doing deep shadow work, it can be gross. It can be icky. It can be like horrible for you to claim these pieces of self that you have repressed or suppressed or it, it can be tricky work, but sometimes as well, like I believe that our shadow pieces can sometimes be our greatest gifts that we have shoved down because when we were a child, they, you know, we pick up so much as children and I'm so deeply passionate about, uh, you know, conscious parenting because of this, because we tend to, if we're not doing our own inner work, if we're not doing our own inner shadow work and we just go throughout our life and we get to adulthood we we spit it all out all over the place we spit out all we put our projections everywhere and it's not just on children it's it's all over the place like it's the whole world that we spit it on in our relationships everywhere and so I believe that diving deep into these pieces and it might not even be like I said some things we just pick up as children when our parents say not to do something or we take it upon ourselves thinking it's bad to be to be loud, to be seen, to be heard, to touch ourselves. Like, you know, there's a lot of sexual oppression um, 
within children uh, as well because parents don't know how to react when children are, you know, pleasuring themselves. And there's this whole, like, so they crush it right down and it gets contorted sometimes and real squished and real icky. And so we really have to dig inside ourselves and bring them to light and work with it and kind of integrate it into ourselves. So we have a lot of inner child repressed pieces um, and that is greatly shown in relationships as well. And it's all about, yeah, just bringing it to light. Sometimes they just need love. Sometimes they just need to be acknowledged. And I find that really beautiful. Um, but it's, it can be tough for sure. Yeah. And I know in human design um, takes, I think, kind of like a slight variation on, on shadow work. What's really common in human design is deconditioning, right? We talk about that a lot in human design. And really what we're referring to are these key areas of your energy where you have been open to receiving conditioning from other people, right? So that is this um, sort of almost like oppressive receiving of yeah. things from other people, whether that's been conscious or unconscious. Of course, that happens through like your undefined and your open energy centers, a couple of different places as well. What we don't talk about a lot in human design is the aspect of shadow. And it exists, definitely exists within the system, but it's really within the human design scope of things, it's talking about the antithesis to power. Whenever we're talking about this defined energy within our body graphs, we always have a shadow version mm. on the flip side of it. And I don't know enough, I think, about like other, other types and other philosophies of viewing shadow work to know how that is different and how that compares. Do you feel like that that resonates with you, that concept of looking at, at shadow work as like the opposite of your power? Yeah, I believe so because, yeah, when, we, when it's the opposite of your power, it's kind of, oh, oh, let me feel into that. Mm. <laughs> Just take a moment with your spleen. Oh, mm. I'm like, yes, okay. <laughs> So when we are in shadow, we are out of our power. Mm. So in that way, yes. But sometimes our shadow, I believe, is a repressed piece of ourselves that is fucking powerful. Mm. And when we reclaim that, it's like we step into our power fully. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that out of all of the types. I mean, every every energy type, of course, has its own experience with repression, with conditioning, with shadow, right? We all experience that in completely unique ways. And as manifestors, of course, we experience that in our own way. Yeah, we we have this natural role and this natural power to, to be the initiators. We're heralded as the most powerful energy type because we don't need to wait for anything, especially you and I as splenic manifestors, fastest decision makers and action takers in the whole world, <laughs> all us, sometimes gets us into trouble. Fast isn't always good, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, manifestors have this, this very uncontainable, unclassifiable power, right? We emanate that with our aura. And my personal belief is that taking ownership of that power comes with a burden of responsibility that of course we are going to have fractures and wounds around that especially as female manifestors in that patriarchal society we're going to experience things that even male manifestors 
don't experience. And it's really our responsibility to, to continue to do that journey through shadow work, to continue to do that journey through things like deconditioning um, and doing what we can to utilise tools to step back into that power, even if that's every day through your journey, right? Even if you need to have that, that constant routine of, no, in this moment, I am actually going to claim my power back. I am actually going to take responsibility for it. Um, and I feel like that's really where, you know, I get the privilege to speak to a lot of manifestors, thousands, thousands of manifestors. And manifestors really struggle with that. Yeah, that sense of I have this power and I know I have this power because I've long suspected that I have it. And now I have this system that validates that I have it. But how do I get from where I am here to actually having ownership over that and utilising that. Do you think that shadow work is one of those bridging things that gets us there? Yeah, I definitely think shadow work is like a, a pillar in getting us there. I also think that inner child healing and inner child work is another pillar because as children, and it depends what area you sort of, I'm going to be very general, but what area you grew up in, as children, we're, we're told to be quiet, to, you know, not, you know, <laughs> we don't make the decisions, we're not the initiators. So there's a lot of repression, especially as manifestors, to, you know, not listen to ourselves, not be heard, not be seen, not be loud, not be too much. Um, and I think inner child healing is one of those uh, factors as well to step into our powerfully sort of bring that inner child healing and let them know that it's okay. Like you're going to be safe if you speak up. You're going to be, it's, you're more than safe. You're there for the, your own child basically and rewiring uh, the new normal. Mm-hmm. Can you, again, for the people who may not be familiar with what inner child work is, I deeply love inner child work, deeply love it. Taken me a long time to get there. I came from a very traumatic and abusive childhood. So inner child work was not always comfortable and not always good. But can you explain to people um, just the basics of what inner child work is and perhaps, you know, share a little bit of your story of, you know, what did you experience when you started tapping into that, <laughs> the, the mini Shiana inside you? Oh, I think maybe it's the sixth line, you know, acting as a three line before you're 30. But I had a very traumatic, abusive childhood as well. Um, so for me, doing inner child healing has been a large factor in stepping up and being seen and heard and, and caring for my core wounding and my childhood wounding. But inner child work can be so many different, there's so many different ways you can go about it. And I believe I'm a true believer that not one size fits all with any healing or any work because we're so unique and what works one day might not work the next day because we're multidimensional. So inner child as a synopsis basically is really just about tapping into those, those woundings, those inner child um, core woundings and aspects and forming a bridge, like forming a relationship because a lot of the time, 
and especially in sex and sexuality and relationships, our inner child actually props up to project onto our relationship, onto our intimate relationships, onto our, onto our sex lives, which people are quite shocked to hear that. But that's usually what happens because when the inner child, which is quintessentially you as a child, feels unsafe, it does all these crazy things and lashes out and to protect you. It just wants to be safe. It's just a protection mechanism. And when you've been with a partner for a long period of time, your brain actually sinks them to like a caregiver role. So I think it's especially important when you're with a, in a relationship for a long period of time as well. Um, yeah, your primal brain and your limbic system basically sync it up to your caregiver. So a lot of the core woundings, a lot of the family dynamics, a lot of the belief systems you had as a child will pop up in those like sexual intimate relationships and cause, cause drama, cause more trauma, like project out. And yeah, I feel like coming home and sitting with a child and making that unconscious or subconscious in a child conscious and returning back into that conscious awareness and that loving like relationship with your own inner child is really important. That is so wild. I had no idea that the brain did that. I'm sitting here smiling about it to myself because it makes so much sense that of course your brain would function in that pattern in long-term relationships. Yeah. I'm having a moment of like looking back over the history of my 15-year marriage <laughs> right now being totally. like, oh, wait, I can see all of these new things. <laughs> yes. I know. And really this is, you know, I love that you mentioned how inner child work really begins to show up in those sexual relationships because I think that's that's sort of one of those missing threads that begins to tie everything together, right, that um, our inner child wounds yeah. You know, for people who've like never, ever looked at it, never dived into anything around inner child before, essentially, when you experience a trauma or a situation or an experience, it doesn't even need to be traumatic. Um, as a child, you fuse at that particular age. It's almost like it, like it encapsulates, right? And that was really important for me because there were, there were key ages along my journey where there was traumatic events or where there was exchanges that really determined what I believed about the world or believed about myself or believed about family or intimacy or vulnerability or safety, all of those things. And so returning back to that version of yourself and reconnecting with that to say, thanks for holding this experience in this bubble, but we can now collaboratively work together to journey through this as adults. Um, I agree. I think so many people would be surprised at how much inner child projection comes up in not just relationships, but in sexual encounters, right? Oh, yes. You know, yeah. if we think about um, this age that we experience now, I mean, if we look at our media, right, we look at our TV shows, we look at our movies, we have so much female sexual expression now. Now it's normal to see in our media, right, like females having one night stands or, you know, like having sex with somebody that they just met or having a really playful exploratory sexual experiences with someone, which 50 years ago was unheard of, unheard of, right? Yeah. And, 
you know, I think that we, when we see that in our media, certainly from what I can see, it sort of comes across with this, like, it's empowered and it's exciting and it's all like, you know, that bold, like, claim the world back women. But I, I believe that in reality, the experience of that is probably very different, right? Yeah. We're, we're still experiencing those core wounds, those inner child wounds, all of that shadow that's lurking there, even if it is in a brief sexual encounter with someone do you have I mean like I'm no authority on it because I've been with a partner for like (laughs) ever right we've been together since we were like 21 um do you have any advice for manifestors who are not in a long-term relationship perhaps the manifestors who are single who are wanting relationships or even if they don't want a relationship even if they just want that that kind of like playfulness in in being single for now yeah I have a lot of advice. (laughs) So much. Where do we begin? Tip number one. (laughs) So I find that, as you were saying before, it's, it's kind of like, and I believe that we've gone to a place where there's like this over-sexualization of the female, Mm. it's Mm -hmm. almost kind of like we've been stripped of our own sexuality and it's being sold back to us from a male perspective. So agree. Oh, this really is, again, one of of the key things that I am super passionate about because it's so socially in our face. It's marketed to us to be a certain way and it's this kind of aggressive, penetrating, masculine sexual energy and it's kind of like our bodies have become for the male gaze and nothing else and uh, there's so many factors that play with this especially as well because of pornography Uh, pornography is huge now in this era it's so readily available and it is contorted and twisted like the sexual experiences for women and men who are now going out and experiencing sex in the dating world in the casual scene it's uh, it's it's almost like a repression but it's it's marketed to us as its liberation Mm. I believe Mm -hmm. so there's like still this female repression about not using Mm. your voice like being the the male's pleasure is more important the male's pleasure because it's a male perspective like even pornography everything that's sold to us is this you know cis white male patriarchal uh perspective and so I feel feel like more than ever even though women can feel like they're liberated because they're having a lot of sex with a lot of people and doing all these things and don't get me wrong like I used to do that too it was great but it come (laughs) it's like where you come from so really knowing like your why really sitting in a space of being okay to speak up and say what you want and what you need because a lot of the time we get we get shown that what the female needs what the woman needs is is not relevant they get they get scared to speak up about their pleasure or how they like things like it's normal for a male to orgasm and a female not to and and that needs to be radically flipped Mm. you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even though there's this beautiful reclamation of the slut so to speak um and not in a bad way there's just like I'm a sexually liberated woman it's just knowing about your why and sitting in the truth, is that the truth for you? Is that, you know, because 
that's a lot of the things like always returning back to your heart and really sitting into your why and is it true for you and being careful of your heart and your space and what you're allowing in your field and soaking in like that conditioning and the belief systems that you've taken on from society or from peers or yeah marketing that is so profound I could not agree more (laughs) that is so good I could like talk on that all day all Mm. day and I know that you know in in my personal journey um my husband and I have been together for 17 years now and you know in the in the last 12 months in particular it's really kind of quickly very confrontingly come into to my understanding and my awareness that I have been in that role of always you know our sexual experiences are about his pleasure about his orgasm but also about his comfort and there was a really unconscious pattern for me which you know what I'm unraveling at the moment and I'm I'm curious to gain your experience on it too is what I'm unraveling is you know, is this pattern of behavior because I was a victim of abuse or is this because this is about my manifest energy and we've got that closed aura or is it a combination of those two things? But, you know, really what I found was that during sex, I was just like bracing myself, just like holding myself stern through the journey, get in, get it done, perform in the right way, have a little bit of, you know, pleasure have a little bit of fun but it was never ever ever my perspective to um a to receive orgasm right especially not before my husband good lord right like even just understanding that wrapping around the present of we expect that sex is finished when the male has ejaculated yeah right because that's the whole agenda isn't it Mm -hmm. um but also in this this allowance of can I actually allow myself to be open enough and vulnerable enough in this experience? Can I not brace myself, right? Can I be fully open? Because when I'm open, I receive, but is it safe for me to have that role to actually have this feminine here? And I think that's, you know, from what I've gained through my personal journey so far is that that's really where we start to tap into the manifest energy and where we've got resistances with that. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Thoughts, feelings, reflections? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> um, I both, I, I believe both. You know, women who have, um, you know, who have survived sexual assaults and sexual abuse, it, because our bodies store trauma in the body, in the cells, like it's in our system. So we can do all the talking about it and releasing on that front, but realistically it sinks to our nervous system. It sinks, it's held in our body cells. So it could take some time to release that embedded deep cellular trauma that you're holding within your body to automatically go into that brace response and it's not just our trauma that we carry as well we carry our mothers our fathers our family lineage like generational trauma is all held in the body like our body is so incredible so that could definitely be one aspect and releasing it via a body sort of system again like there's so many different modalities and you know ways that we can tap into our body wisdom to release to heal ourselves and the other aspect that you said as well is we have been shown and we have been 
basically fed that belief system and that conditioning that it's, yeah, male-centered pleasure, male-centered orgasm. And I think that's when Tantra comes into it as well. And especially as a manifester, I believe it's so important. And again, I don't know if it's so much because we live in a patriarchal society, so where the woman does not speak or take control or have the power, or because we are fed so much pornography that the woman just doesn't really speak up during sexual relations and it's all about the male's pleasure. But either one of those two combinations combined, (laughs) basically, where we are afraid to use our voice. We are afraid to speak up and say, this feels good. This doesn't feel good. Slow down. Like the women's orgasm is wide, completely different to males. Like we, our orgasm starts in the brain. Like it's got nothing actually to do with our vulva and our, our genitals, basically. So it's so, and you know, how we, it's just not enough sex education to know how to tap into our desire, how to tap into our pleasure, how to, you know, get turned on, like how the system works in our brain. There's not enough sex education. And yeah, we're shown not to use that. And I think using our, our voice as manifestors, as women can be so hard because we're shown that, like I said, not to use it, uh, don't use it. It's not very woman-like and it's very hard, but I believe that's one of the essential, when we start to tap into that and say, I like this, I don't like that, you know, I, I want this or slow down. Like it's powerful. Mm. It's a powerful, powerful, and I really, oh, it's so powerful. I wanted to tap into as well uh, the connection between your vulva over your hips, your pelvis and your throat. So if you're blocked Mm -hmm. up in one area, you're blocked up in the other area. And so tapping into your throat and using like throat releases to activate that throat area. And then also, strangely enough, tapping into de-armoring and these beautiful practices on your yoni and like vulva to actually release your throat because they're very closely linked. Yes. So few people are aware of that, right? So I totally agree with you. There's no sex education for women. Nothing. There's contraceptive education. Yeah. And that's it. The rest of it is, is all about, you know, the man's experience of sex and that's what we get educated about. But we do, we do have this um, biological physiological mirroring of our vocal cords in our throat and the muscles and the tissue in our cervix yeah so quite literally they are tethered they are magnetically connected when your throat opens so does your cervix Mm -hmm. yeah and I think that that's one like just super straightforward super simple way for manifestors to actually tap into any of this journey around sexuality as a manifestor Yes, informing, of course, always informing as much as we hate it, right? Like, I hate that. Right, damn technique is informing. It's very effective. And, of course, that's effective in a sexual experience with a partner, right? Being able to say, um, I'm going to set the intention. I'm going to say it out loud. I'm going, to, I'm going to initiate. This is what I want this experience to be. But mechanically, what's happening is that, by activating that, by speaking out loud, by not thinking it, 
right, or journaling on it or internally reflecting on it, but actually by speaking that out loud and doing exactly as you said, I love the way you described it, like these little steps along the way of, oh, yes, I like that or I don't like that or, you know, you need to stop that or you need to move over here or I want to keep going or I don't want to keep going, right? Can we allow ourselves as manifestors, especially as female manifestors, to vocalise these decisions in this moment, right? To vocalise these desires, to vocalise even these parameters of the sexual experience, right? Even if that's something, you know, as, as simple as, saying to your male partner, if you are with a male, you know, I, I want to have sex, but I don't want it to be about your orgasm. Mm. I want it to be about mine. Right. And, you know, I know again, like from, from my experience and from a lot of manifestors that I speak to, we can, we can say that very simply be like, use your voice, power in the moment, but it's actually hard. It's actually hard. It's uncomfortable and you second guess yourself. And just that action of opening your mouth and letting words come out, I think can be so challenging. Is is there any advice that you would give, you know, for women who are like listening along and being like, yeah, 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 I could do that. But actually, that's too scary. (laughs) Like, what can what can we do in that moment? Is that just a matter of self-trust, right? Is it, you know, like take a deep breath, can, you know, take a beat. What can we do to, um, I guess, give ourselves more permission to actually vocalise things and speak them out in, in the moment? I think that when we're starting out, it's really uncomfortable to be doing it while you're in the bedroom. Yeah. So one of my key um I would say pointers would to be actually separate the two so not doing it when you're in the moment when you're when your body's activated when your nervous system's activated when because things can come up you like you said you can get sort of traumatized you can get a bit frozen you can get scared like all these things are activated because your whole body's online so actually creating a space outside of the bedroom to like a safe container where you're able to talk And however you process things, if you're a writer or a a talker into a microphone or something like that, and you need to get that all out to say exactly kind of what you want and what you need. And a lot of women actually don't know what they want or need. So it becomes about self-exploration as well and tapping into that self-pleasure, you know, it's which we also don't get told about as well. Um, but yeah, creating that safe space outside of the bedroom with your partner, with your love interest, your sexual interest, who you're with, and kind of making a sacred space that way. And just really asking them to sort of, you know, for their presence and awareness and really stating the why, you know, because men don't really, coming from a woman, men don't really understand things sometimes without the why which again can be very vulnerable but it's so beautiful to sort of set up and take baby steps you know you don't have to go all out all at once you can just say hey I want to try this really cool thing I would like to try maybe a week with um, pleasure without orgasm having taking orgasm off off the table for both of you and so just making it completely about pleasure 
making it fun. You know, we don't want to <laughs> make it all doom and gloom all the time. There's like definitely ways that you can, yeah, like I want to explore my pleasure a little bit more. This week, can we just do my pleasure? And, you know, can you just like massage, like give me a yoni massage? Mm-hmm. And then next week, let's make it about all about your, your pleasure. And so it's this beautiful, like bringing pleasure in in a different way um, so that you start to get comfortable about talking about sex. I find the more you talk about sex outside of the bedroom, the easier it is to talk about sex inside the bedroom. Mm, I love that. That actually sounds so fun. I'm taking I'm taking some mental notes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that. Our, our time over the next few weeks. So good. Yes. Do you think... You know, I know that we we talk about things in heterosexual terms, right? Because generally, that's the easiest. Um, especially, you know, as both you and I being heterosexuals, do you think that any of this has a variation, or is there a different way to approach it and view it in non-heterosexual relationships? I believe that, especially in talking about what you do and don't want, that is very much any any gender on the spectrum. Um, would benefit from that sort of thing and you know some genders do resonate with the masculine feminine principles um, and then some people don't some people don't and they're gender non-conforming and they're very fluid and I believe that you know sometimes they can take on like both roles I've seen them sort of intertwine and yeah it's all about just listening in with like your own identity what you identify with how you resonate and it doesn't have to be about masculine feminine and the the female and the male you know these roles can be intertwined it could sometimes be the the male the female it's very open to just really sitting and how you're expressed in your own unique relationship uh, or sexual partnership and yeah just feeling feeling it from there I believe yeah, and, and understanding that differentiation to that, you know, when we're talking about masculine and feminine energies, which play such an important role in everything, I would argue, but in intimacy as well, that's not necessarily archetypal gender, right? Males are not purely masculine energy. Females are not purely feminine energy. We all hold both masculine and feminine energy. Um, and the journey is about, yeah, where's, where's the balance in utilising both of these. I do think that there is this intense and very necessary collective journey through the divine feminine right now. And will probably take us quite a long while to get through. Um, And that's going to really speak to a lot of females. But I, I personally am like super, super hopeful that at least at some point, that's also going to lead to that awakening of the divine feminine within males as well. And we'll see their ability to have that, that, um, the ability to receive not out of dominance, right? Oh, yes. There's a difference between that masculine, that toxic masculinity forcing to receive and the divine feminine of allowing yourself that strong vulnerability in yeah. order to receive, right? Yeah. Which is, I am watching that closely as a mother of two sons. I am like <laughs> on it and watching it and so curious for the next generation ahead. Yeah. I know that, you know, people all around the world listen to this podcast. And so culturally, um, this whole journey through sexuality, um, through sexual pleasure, this is all going to be received differently, right, through different cultural filters. In Australia, we're not particularly good at this, 
right? We're not we're not very progressive. We're not very open to the whole conversation of sex being anything other than like have a few beers and then go home to your wife and just have a good time, right? I know that your husband is a minor, so that's like very, <laughs> very Australian, very, very ocker. Yes. What has been your husband's response and your family and your friends, right, your whole, whole social circle, what has been their response to you initiating doing this work? As a- well, I actually believe that my whole life has flipped upside down um, since I started this work. To be quite honest, I look around and... I don't believe that I actually have one similar friend that I that I had at the start of the journey. And I feel like it's been such a huge initiation process for myself. Um, but I truly believe that the feminine is the initiator mm. to the divine masculine. And so as I step more and more into my own work, my own shadow work, my own progression, my own inner healing, my own inner child work, I have seen my husband rise and rise time and time again. And, you know, very, very ocker. He does all these very tantric things with me, like (laughs) breath work, like eye gazing. I hope none of his friends listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, what's going on? (laughs) Um, (laughs) We do a lot of, and saying that it's been really tough. Like, You know, we've had very, I've nearly, we've nearly divorced um, quite a few times. It's gone to a peak and we really have to do the deep work and do a lot of the work that I've learned together with us. And it's, it's been a deep dive, but in my friend, my family is so, so cool. They just think I'm really woo woo, which is super, (laughs) (laughs) super cute um, because I'm a very grounded woo woo person, Um, but they just, just don't they just ignore me um (laughs) and just let me go and do whatever I gotta do and it's it's totally fine so you know I I see a lot of people and they get into this like spiritual trap as the the female about seeking an awakened spiritual enlightened man and I truly believe that not that it can't work, but it's it's like you do the deep work and you do the progression together. You do, as one rises, the other rises. As you heal, like I've healed so many scars and wounds, like being in a partnership that I thought I would never, ever heal. And so, yeah, I think that we got to give it to them. You know, they're just catching up. We're see- we are seeing the rise of the divine feminine at the moment. And then, you know, we got to initiate the masculine into that. Mm. Mm. The concept of the divine feminine being the initiator just speaks to my soul. Yes. <laughs> yes, like so happy, so happy. And also gives extra, I was going to say importance, but that's not the right word. It's like it gives this extra vitality and this extra electricity to this experience of female manifestors, right? That we. Yeah. I think it's very nondescript at the moment. We're all kind of journeying through like a bit of the gray area of what this actually means. We're we're doing a lot about personal journeys. You know, we're healing a lot of stuff. We're trying to understand what our power means. But I think that there is this significantly critical role for female manifestors back into the collective over the next five years in particular while we're doing this paradigm shift. But um, 
when, you know, when we look out into these still very patriarchal countries and globe, right, and we're still very much seeing like men, men at the helm, causing some trouble and some mess, <laughs> quite a lot of mess around the place, yeah. right? I mean, we're seeing that everywhere. We see it um, in our politics, in our major power figures, in the heads of industry, in our education system, in our medical system, right? We're still seeing men and that patriarchal control. Do you think that there is a role for female manifestors right now, right? Do you think that we, we need to be doing extra things at the moment to prepare ourselves for that shift? Oh, I love this question. And I feel like I've been preparing myself for a fair while now. You know, I honestly believe like it's in our bones. It's in our DNA. It's in ourselves. Like you can feel it bubbling, like Mm -hmm. that delicious, like anticipation of being here for a purpose, being here for a reason. Uh, I feel it deeply within my body and I know you do too. And um I feel like, and this is going to be really bizarre too, because we're we're not really taught this, but I believe looking after ourselves and nurturing ourselves and, you know, being with nature and doing all these beautiful things to actually nourish ourselves is us preparing. Like we don't have to do any, you know, deep dive deep, like we are here for a reason. And um, I think the more we nourish ourselves and rest and just like be with our body and learn to tap in to our own power within ourselves, that is, that is us doing the work. That is us getting ready and prepared for the huge shifts we are, we are already seeing and furthermore will explode over the next decade. Mm-hmm. And how beautiful is the tie-in with that of that the receptive feminine, right? That like yes. we're actually here to receive. But additionally, as manifestors, we're not here to do. We're here to be. We're here to simply exist. And when that creative urge comes through us, then we are here to take action. But I always imagine that the manifesto uh, role and experience of like a fireworks show. Like there's a lot of anticipation. There's so much preparation. There's so much like creative gathering and bringing things together. And then it's this spectacular 10 minute display up in the sky, right? That (laughs) everyone is into and it's like the oohs and the ahs and it's so great. And then it's over and it's, it's gone again, right? For a, for a very long while. And so often because, because of what we've learned to, to be as manifestors, we think that we should have fireworks going all the time, that we should be able to like have these fireworks shows every day or every week or every month. Or if you're in a business, you know, every few months so that you're producing something and you're launching something and you're selling something and bringing it back to that understanding of we're not actually here to do that all the time. That's meant to be the rarity, right? It's meant to be the exception, not the norm for us and that's so much of that pulls back to this work of that feminine energy yeah Yeah, we can't be unless we're willing to receive we have to stop doing we have to stop hustling we have to stop structuring and pushing and taking action in order to actually be still to Mm. receive and to be okay with that I think that's really challenging I love that and I love everything you just said like changing that to even the way we have sex and sexuality Mm -hmm. like we are we receive and how 
much is it pushed upon us to do and to to give and to actually be the ones to give them and we're actually the ones not receiving that pleasure that deep uh intimacy connection like it's it's powerful and we're not meant to be on all the time like you said it's Mm -hmm. just you know powerful how challenging is it for women to even receive something simple every day right (laughs) like my husband makes me a cup of tea every night every night before bed because years and years ago I informed him that I wanted it before I even knew that I was informing and initiating (laughs) that that's that's what I wanted and yet that's so challenging for so many women around me which I I now view as a very very simple act of receiving right I I have a I don't think it's arrogant but I have a sense of entitlement around it like I birthed three of your offspring (laughs) you you will right like I gave life into this world so yes I will receive a cup of tea from you every single night for the next 70 years of our lives together. Yes, yes. And and perhaps, you know, for, for a lot of women listening, maybe you need to start simple with something like that. What's the simplest thing that you can receive? What's the smallest thing that you can receive? What tiny pocket in your life can you carve out to just be mm-hmm. and just be present without doing anything, you know? Yes. And the more you steep in and relax into your feminine and you're receiving, the more the polarity is going to change in your relationship. And the man in, well, the, the masculine is going to step more into the masculine energy because that's the way it balances each other out. That's how we get polarity. That's how we get that beautiful, yeah, like erotic dance of the masculine feminine. So, mm-hmm. So good. So good. This has been so good. Um, Can you share with people before we wrap up, where can they find you? What kind of work can they do with you? Where do you exist in the big, big wide digital space? (laughs) Well, I've only just become digital. Um, (laughs) Actually, I know it's so funny. I've been, uh, I think it's just my background, uh, you know, with shamanic type work, you weren't really digital. So I've just sort of come onto Instagram the last year. Um, You can find me at Shiana Lee. I'm also on Facebook. Um, and I have my website, which is www.shianalee.com. And at the moment, I have like a beautiful offering that I am only working with women at the moment um, in this three-month container called Sacred Sovereignty. And yeah, you can find me on there. And I also do like womb medicine as well because I'm super passionate about the womb. Um, and that's my current offerings. Yeah, and that's where you can find me. So I love it. And for the local Australians, holla, shout out to the Aussies. Yes. When when restrictions ease again, when we once again return to the land of being able to cross borders, um, uh, do you do in-person work? Are you uh, feeling any vibes to do like retreats or weekends or anything like that? Yes. So I have just relocated. I moved to the Sunshine Coast. So I'm at the moment uh, sourcing some beautiful places to actually hold workshops and retreats and all of the things. Um, Yeah, so I've got a, at the moment, I'm only doing online. So I've got an online event for free uh, next Tuesday, actually. So I'll might be might be gone by the time this gets out but you know catch the replay catch the replay <laughs> catch the replay um but yes i will be offering uh workshops in the sunshine coast brisbane uh gold coast region ah 
I cannot wait. I can't Yay. wait for everything to come back and for travel to be possible for everyone. Yes. Um, it's going to be so, so good. Thank you so much for being here and, and just sharing your wisdom, your teaching, your skills, your honesty. I mean, I don't have enough words to represent <laughs> all of that. It's been, it's been really enlightening, even just for me personally. I know that everyone listening is going to be gaining all different types of things out of it. But um, I wanted to thank you for just showing up authentically and, and being here as yourself and for owning the space that you do in the world. It's a really, really important, critical space as we journey forward as a collective. And um, this work is just so powerful for women and for men, for all of us. So thank you for what you do. And thank you for being here on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Honestly, it was my honor. I am so honored. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was so fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hunting for Purpose podcast. I hope that my words, my sharing and the spiritual wisdom that came through today's episode have a magnificently transforming impact on your life. If you love this episode, I would be so humbly and truly grateful if you would share it on your social media. You can tag me on Instagram or Facebook at The Holly Marie. And also please consider taking a moment to leave a review right here on iTunes so that this information, this podcast and this spiritual transformation can be spread to even more people. Again, I cannot wait to see you for the next episode of Hunting for Purpose.